I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The hospitality sector meets with the government to iron out the finer details of reopening indoor dining as digital COVID certificates start dropping into inboxes and mailboxes. By close of play today, all being well, we will have sent out 750,000. By um, right lunchtime tomorrow, we should have a million emails uh, sent. Also tonight, the retail earthquake, how high streets, once the lifeblood of our communities, are being hollowed out after a tumultuous year. Footfall is everything. The emptying out of offices, the emergence of working from home, has left many retailers worried about the coming months. And the headache facing many of you is indoor camps are not permitted to open. We take a look at how it will affect summer plans. Get in touch on Twitter on our hashtag TonightVMTV. begin tonight with the government's rollout of digital vaccine certificates and many of you will have seen these either arrive in your inbox or maybe through your front door today. By tomorrow afternoon around a million certs will have been sent by email to people who are now fully vaccinated but it's how they work and whether you can get a letter from your GP that has people scratching their heads. Well let's take you live now to the Department of Health and our news correspondent Richard Chambers is there with the latest and Richard uh, the digital Covid cert as we say making its way into inboxes and through letterboxes but take Take us through what's happening and what people can expect to receive. Well, Claire, there has been a lot of scrutiny on the mechanics of this uh, digital COVID certificate over the course of the day. Government officials at the Oireachtas Transport Committee today spelling out how it's all going to be arriving and how it's going to be sent out to people across the coming days. Two million of these are being sent out, about a million of them uh, by email. They should be landing over the next day or so. Those are mostly for people uh, who are vaccinated in the HSE centres. The other million are being sent out uh, in the post. These are mostly for people uh, who had their vaccine in a GP in their pharmacy or in uh, the hospitals as well. Now there is going to be a helpline which is going to help people through this which will be in operation from next Monday. There is an emergency helpline uh, which is already there for people uh, if they are uh, hoping to travel in the immediate day or so after uh, Monday July the 19th but there has been a huge amount of scrutiny on this. Uh, Some of it has gone back and forth over the course of the day how it is going to be worked and it will be uh, hotly debated in the Dáil I suppose and uh, I'm sure your panel will have some uh, interesting thoughts on that too. Um, Richard, there was confusion earlier and anger from GPs about whether they are involved in this rollout. Have we clarity on that tonight? 
Well, the GPs are very, very firm in the fact that they say they have no role uh, whatsoever to play in this. And it was clarified earlier on by uh, Minister for State, State Oisín Smith, that they wouldn't have a role there. Then they went back and the government said that they would have a role in providing certification or a letter which would say that, uh, that, that people had recovered from COVID-19. They could access indoor dining. But GPs have been completely exercised by this. They say uh, that this is, they have no time to be effectively writing permission slips for people to go have some pints or have dinner indoors at a time when they are working through huge backlogs of patients. And as well as that, they're still recovering from the impacts of the HSE cyber attack. So uh, GPs have found themselves uh, effectively, in their view, uh, lumped with something which was not uh, negotiated with uh, the Irish Medical Organisation on behalf of GPs. And now they're looking for clarity. They are adamant, though, that they will have no role in this. OK, Richard Chambers at the Department of Health. Richard, thank you for joining us with that update tonight. Well, joining me now is Mark McGowan, the president of the Restaurants Association of Ireland. And uh, Mark, a lot of focus on your sector and how these vaccine certs will be used to allow you to reopen indoor dining um, in the coming weeks. Uh, you, there was a meeting of stakeholders today. How did that go for you? Are you happy? Did you re receive reassurances you wanted? The, the RAI engaged today with multi-agency and multi-government officials including the HS, HSA, the HSE, Garda Síochána and Fáilte Ireland. Um, yet to find out, all of this will be debated in the Dáil in, in the coming days. So we'll see exactly what way the guidelines will be distributed to our, to our members across Ireland. And um, hopefully, first of all, this is not exactly how we want it to reopen. It's unfortunate that this is the case. We feel as if it's the only option that was on the table. The alternative was not opening until September, October, or even longer. So it was the only option that, that was in play. So we have to roll with this for now. And we're just looking forward to seeing what kind of um, guidelines are going to be put in place. Hopefully it'll be in some form of a digital app. Uh, I know that the DCC certificate is being sent out to approximately 750,000 people today. So hopefully it'll be in a digital format and it'll be very clear and concise and our members will know exactly how they have to, how they can use this. So it's a smooth transition for the public and for the businesses. And Mark, I want to know about enforcement measures and will there be regular inspection of premises? Did you receive clarity on that today, on, on who's looking at this, who's checking and do restaurants and pubs feel liable? We ha I, I haven't heard anything yet as to exactly how it's going to be enforced. All I know is that it'll be the HSA, HSE again. And the HSE have enough on their plate, I think, at the minute in terms of what they have to do. We have um, environmental health, health officers that are overwhelmed. I'm not sure exactly if it's going to be uh, the EHOs themselves if we're going to be carrying it out. Um, we're hearing that there'll be €2,000 fines if um, people are, are, are coming in or they're trying to uh, get around this in any way. I'm, so I'm, I'm not sure exactly what, what way it'll be put in place. OK, well, here to discuss this more is Fine Gael TD, Neil Richmond, and broadcaster and businesswoman Nora Casey. Neil Richmond, I want to come to you first. It seems like they, that meeting took place to give more clarity and to get all the stakeholders involved, to iron out the finer details. But there see, still seems to be an awful lot of uncertainty around this legislation tonight. And criticism from the opposition that this is all being rushed through. In fact, the, the Health Committee, there was, a, there was a vote on it and that there's going to be no scrutiny taking place and you're hoping to get it passed tomorrow in the Dáil. There isn't enough time really to discuss this and to iron out these details, is there? 
I think we must clarify there's no pre-legislative scrutiny. There is scrutiny. There will be scrutinised in the Dáil tomorrow. And the meeting that was held, a very important meeting with the stakeholders, it wasn't the final meeting. There will be more meetings. But of course, the legislation hasn't been put through the Dáil yet. And it's quite interesting to note the people who are most critical about the announcement today don't want hospitality to reopen. They've never wanted it to reopen. And then others have said, well, let it rip. And they've been all over the shop well, throughout the pandemic. I entirely true. No, it is I actually think entirely to do. If I... you look at the statements of Paul Murphy, Gino Kenny and Richard Boyd Barrett, they don't want hospitality and to that, open and that is October. one stance, but there is other opposition. There's opposition from Sinn Féin and, and there's Sinn Féin, who are the people who, who demanded opening the pubs at Christmas and the Social Democrats yes. who wanted zero COVID but a couple of months want, ago they and want something else. They do want more clarity and they do want to know the finer details around this. And there are questions in place about, is this all workable? Mm. Um, and, and whether there's enough time, like we're even seeing there from, from restaurateurs going, we don't know how it's going to be enforced. We don't know who's going to be paying the fine. Will it be the business? Will it be the punters? Um, you know, are we looking at ventilation standards? Are they going to be legally enforced? Because surely that's very important if you're going to reopen business. Absolutely. And when the legislation comes out, first you have the legislation, then you have the implementation. And there will be absolute clarity provided to everyone. And we'll have a good debate on it in the Dáil. I suppose we're at the stage now that some people have an ethical concern about that. And that's understandable. I don't share that concern, but what we have announced today is a great opportunity for our hospitality sector and indeed many in society to start going back to normal in a safe way. Okay, um, what do you think about what you're hearing, Nora Casey, that these plans are being rolled out? Are they better late than never, in your opinion? So all my life I've studied strategy and you have to get up on the mountain sometimes and look at things in a big way. And to me, this is, uh, it's rushed. I feel unsafe about it. Um, I have absolutely no political game. I have no investments and no ownership in hospitality. I am pro-hospitality. I'm pro-business. So for me, there's so many different layers. Firstly, the system is currently very flawed. Uh, like all of my colleagues, COVID digital certificates arrived today. But a lot of my friends were uh, vaccinated by GPs that are not covered. My own son, he's got a special condition and he was vaccinated by his GP. He's not covered. I have a lot of colleagues from abroad who are here who are vaccinated abroad. They're not covered. But overall... I think it's patently unfair. The COVID digital certificate was, it was designed to ensure that we helped facilitate free movement of people in the EU. It was not designed for domestic use. And why does Ireland believe that we should follow a minority of countries in Europe who have tried to implement, well, by the way, not the COVID digital certificate, mm. which shouldn't be used in this way at all. It was never designed to be used in this way. And I'd say the EU will have words about it. You can design your own system to say that people are vaccinated. Okay. But at the same time, what does it say to people? And the issue you have with using the digital COVID certificates to allow indoor dining or facilitated. What are the specific problems you have with that? So the COVID, the EU COVID digital certificate was very mindful of civil liberties. It said, regardless as to whether you're vaccinated or not, you can move freely within the EU, by the way. You can take a PCR test, you can prove that you're negative, or you can be vaccinated. So it's only facilitating free movement, it's not preventing it. We're now using the exact same digital certificate to actually prevent people from availing of hospitality. And by the way, we're making a pariah of the hospitality industry. And I don't know why we're doing that, because all over the country right now, I have friends and colleagues who are indoors, in restaurants, in hotels, they're swimming in pools, they're availing of spa treatments and they're not vaccinated. But all of a sudden we feel that the bogeyman of the whole world, not shopping, where I can go with my mother and I'm virtually juggling with people in the aisles, but the hospitality industry, which consistently, okay. since I've been using it over the last 18 months, has been safe, has been responsible, okay. has been engaged in separation and their staff wear masks. They actually give you a QR code so that you can look at the menu without having a physical menu. And suddenly we're saying, actually, of all the things in Ireland, 
you have to have a vaccination in order to enter the hospitality industry. Okay. I think I, it's completely I, wrong. And, and can I just say one more well, thing? Because there's we'll many layers. Just one more thing. Okay. It actually encourages risky behaviour. When you say to people that things are unsure and unclear and they're convoluted, which this is, what it encourages people to believe that if they're vaccinated, they can actually behave in a different way. And that's not true. Vaccinated people can pick up COVID. They may not be hospitalised. They may not. They may have stronger immunity against hospitalisation and serious they disease. They are at lower risk. But it doesn't mean that they can't okay. contract COVID or give it to other people. Okay, let's um, just have a look at the technology around this. And I want to bring in Adrian Weckler, a tech editor at independent.ie. Adrian, you received your digital COVID cert this morning into your inbox. What's your take on it? My take on it is the only way, this is it here, I printed it out and uh, because it's actually designed as a PDF, uh, as an attachment to an email. And so it's designed to literally be printed out and folded and brought with you to the pub or to the restaurant. It's really designed for travel, but this is what we're talking about uh, now. The only way to verify it really is to use this, the QR code, the technical element. Mm -hmm. And that is the bit that's going to be missing, it, it appears, for the first weeks. So essentially, um, it's very, very easy to copy, very easy to forge, very easy to screenshot. And we're really going to be um, using um, the honour system and our own sense of honesty uh, for this to work. OK, I just want to talk about how um, compatible it is to use on smartphone devices, because I saw some, some talk on social media posts about how you're expected to use it. As, as you say, it comes in a PDF format into your inbox. Other people, almost a million people, will be receiving it by post if they um, got their jab at the GPs or a hospital or a pharmacy. So here's one instruction I saw. Open email, save PDF to iCloud Drive. Open in iCloud downloads and then save as a a PDF to iBooks, take a screenshot as well, save to photos. Tell me there is an easier way and that the COVID tracker app will be updated to accept this. Well, two questions there. The COVID tracker app will supposedly be updated to accept this into a new wallet style section. That won't happen for a week to two weeks. Um, the, the process you mentioned is very, very janky. I don't think many people uh, will use it. There is a way to get it onto your smartphone, whether it's an Android phone or an iPhone. You can use an app like Ask for your Android phone, or you can use an app like um, uh, COVID-19 uh, passbook.netafly.app, and then you end up with something like this uh, on, on, your, uh, on your iPhone. But again, the problem is without that, code being scanned and verified at the door by the staff of the restaurant or the pub, I can just screenshot that, tweak the name, give it to somebody else, give it to 10 other people. If all they're, if all they're looking for is the appearance of something that okay. looks genuine, okay. then um, we're, on, we're on the honour system. I want to bring um, Mark back in here from the Restaurants Association. Just on the subject of the, the technology, you'll have your end. Have you talked about scanners um, collating this information, actually using those QR codes? There's been no debate or no conversation anyway in terms of how this is going to come into effect. So I'm blind to this. I'm going into this with my blinkers on at the minute. I'd love to have more engagement with government departments so that we can give, give more advice on how we feel that, that it can go in or that it can work. And what I'd say is that once these measures are put in place, we want to see some guarantees that our, our industry is going to stay open this time. 
we can't yo-yo in and out of this with, with multiple measures continu- continuing. We don't know if this is the last variant that's going to come around either. And as Nora had just said earlier on, we seem to be the scapegoat on numerous occasions. We can see what's happening across the border at the minute. We can see what's happening there last weekend with people travelling over to Wembley for the final. This is the last call for us. This is our last hurdle. Whatever way this Mm. is put in place, it has to be bulletproof. Okay, Um, Neil Richmond, I want to bring you in here again. Just even from a technology point of view, we're hearing about this QR code and there's a lot of attention being put on that, but now it's not actually going to be in use for a few weeks and restaurants don't even know if they're going to have a scanner and are they going to be taking information off that? Surely it can just be forwarded around on WhatsApp messages and by email and screenshots and anybody can go into any establishment, use it, say they're vaccinated and get a table. And there's always scope to abuse everything in society. Believe it or not, I actually be, used to be a nightclub bouncer, so I remember dealing with fake IDs so many right. different times, and people okay, do so abuse it. But see, it, the vast majority of people... You can see the difficulty this the va- presents Absolutely, but with. the vast majority, Claire, have been proven to be very trustworthy through this. And what this is, this is a temporary measure, first and foremost. That's why there's a sunset clause of three months in the legislation. It's one that we didn't actually bring in with much relish. It's an opportunity, though. Mm. It's an opportunity not just for the hospitality sector, which you're right, Nora, has been taken an awful kicking throughout this pandemic, but also the people who haven't had the opportunity to get out and socialise. If we look at other European jurisdictions, how they've used this, um, an increasing amount of EU... Are they using the digital code for indoor dining? An increasing amount of EU... No, but are are they using that? Because we're specifically, this was intended for travel. Mm. And now, as Nora says, we're like, yeah, okay, you can use it if you want to sit indoors. They're not using it. And this is the point I want to make, because... At, at this point, they're not, but we have had discussions at European level. Obviously, I sit in the Oireachtas EU Affairs Committee. We discussed this amongst um, colleagues and other member states, and they are looking at this model. Other member states have used things like antigen rapid testing. Obviously, we have a review group on that. Other member states have simply opened up. And then if we look at what's going on in Great Britain at the moment, it is extremely worrying. That is the stark alternative that some people have yeah. been talking about. But, but the issue that there's QR codes, and, and as I say, people are, are getting them by email in PDF format and, and through the post, that are not actually going to be in use, is not problematic even for the messaging around this campaign. It's not about messaging. It's it about is about messaging no, because we know there's been a huge problem. Arguably, you could say a lot went right today. People, you know, I mean, emails were flooded with the digital COVID cert. A lot of people received them, received notification and are expected to receive them in the coming days and more by post. And yet the messaging that came through was, you know, a lack of clarity about whether GPs are going to be rolling out certs in some cases, whether or not you've had COVID and recovered from it for six months or for nine months. Um, and, and, and there is a lack of clarity and the messaging has failed once again. No, I think saying it's failed is dramatic. We're not even 12 hours into this coming into system and I think that's unfair to jump that. And I'll finish the point that this provides, as I said, a great opportunity. The vast majority of people who contacted my constituency office today relish that opportunity. They relish the opportunity mm. to go visit friends across Europe. They relish the opportunity to go back into social environments. We've had a great engagement with the hospitality sector today and other stakeholders. We'll debate the legislation tomorrow. And by the time this is implemented, it will be very clear. But I have to clear, but I have to stress, it's temporary. It's an opportunity. I think we seize this opportunity. Otherwise, our hospitality sector will be staying closed to October regardless. Um, like, is there an ultimatum there, Nora? Like, if we don't do this now, then we are faced with the fact, and it was given to the Restaurants Association today, if you don't get on board with this, you're going to stay closed until the autumn. Yeah, and I'm going to say something very controversial. NEFIT aren't always right. There are plenty of countries in Europe with healthcare committees who disagree with the NEFIT advice that we are being given currently. And I'm a total 
vaccination queen. Since last December, I've been, I was a nurse. I published peer-reviewed journals. I will always be the person who encourages people to vaccinate. At the moment, I think the government is being weak. So I'm sorry, but I think that is just a matter of just to, lack of teamwork. Just to clarify, Nora, do you think everything should reopen and that everyone can dine indoors regardless of whether they're vaccinated or not? Exactly. So we have divided the country. When I said risky behaviour, I was on one hand saying that people who are vaccinated are behaving in risky behaviour. I see it all day, every day. I walk into meetings with people, are you vaccinated? I'll give you a hug. I don't. I do an elbow bump. People who are vaccinated are being given the message that you're OK. If you haven't asked AstraZeneca, I don't need to give you the stats. No, to be fair, you they're are not protected. being given that because the first thing know, out of the minister today was... You. No, but you're saying the government is giving I'm the impression. That the they government have... said quite clearly to people that this is still a live variant. Neil, I'm not going to argue with you about it. it. I'm just going to say that people pick up what they want to hear. And as far as they're concerned at the moment, regardless as to what vaccine they have or what protection they have, and I do accept, and I will say it 100%, it gives strong protection against serious illness and hospitalisation, but it does not protect you 100%, in fact, with AstraZeneca, yeah. in the low 60s against contracting But isn't that one of the reasons saying this, this I just want to finish my second, my second point was, Risky behaviour by vaccinated people believing they can behave differently. Risky behaviour by young people who are furious that they again have been left out. It's not solving drinking on the canals or drinking on the streets or house parties. In fact, it's going to exacerbate it. If you that, think that, that the older people... That at least people, is outdoor. I mean, that, that's the argument being made. House when parties are indoors, not outdoor. And you can see that yeah. the spread of the Delta variant is not... Vaccinated too. The 18 to 34 open to Johnson & And Johnson. I'm not talking we'll about that. I'm just saying where we are right now at this very moment in time. young people and we're saying that's why we You're determined to have an argument and I'm not going to argue with you because we're on the same side. I think the government has the best heart in the world to try and help the hospitality industry, but you're being rolled over by Neffet. You are not standing up and being strong and saying, actually, the better advice is to say people who are not vaccinated and vaccinated can dine indoors as we're planned to do, but we need to reinforce, as always, the public health measures. I have not been in a restaurant that I have not felt safe in, and by the way, I nearly live in them. It's the only thing. I don't play golf. I don't do anything. I haven't travelled abroad since last March, 18 months ago, but I do support the hospitality industry, and you're making a 2,000 fine. If somebody goes down the road and speeds or doesn't wear a seatbelt, they mm. pay 10% of that fine. It, We're making it the bogeyman of the, the industry. Isn't the issue there, it's though, around those measures and those tools you're talking about? So, for example, ventilation measures. That exactly. You're saying to restaurants, yeah, get your CO2 monitors in place, but there's no... Uh, legally enforced standard and there was time to plan this because we knew and the plan was always there to reopen indoor dining come the 5th of July and when that came around the, uh, I remember the lead up to it restaurant association and, and, and publicans were saying well we, we really don't know what way we can reopen is there going to be do we need to increase table numbers or decrease them or have more windows open what needs to be in place now and that wasn't done and that's why we had hoped to open on the 5th of July, but the advice was quite clear that we shouldn't. And this is a big, tough balance for government. Um, government doesn't always get it right, of course. But the government has very strong public health advice. It has lots of other coming. And every time I come on this show, whether it's yourself or anyone else, you'll say, are you following the science? Are you standing up to an effort? It doesn't have to be one or the other. That's the difficulty of government, providing that balance. And that's why this legislation and the regulations will come. The restaurants will still have, and hospitality sector will still have very strict regulations. Some people have criticised that. It won't be a free-for-all. We're not like the British government saying, burn your masks Can and I just give go. you two points? Switzerland, we're number 17th in Europe in terms of the percentage of people who are vaccinated. Switzerland's very close to us. Switzerland have implemented their own health pass. And it's only for big venues, you know, dance clubs, 
over a thousand people in their restaurants, you're entitled to go in and out and dine indoors freely. And they have the same percentage of the Delta variant as we have. So if you look at Denmark, which people talk about all the time, they don't restrict people who are not vaccinated. They allow antigen tests. Which is something we so hope to do. We have to do that because if you turn up we're at the not, moment, we, I we're can't We're not dine. doing it though. We're, we're, no. we're thinking about doing it. But we have to do it. We've... We've provided the pilots that if it happened already in the meat plants, they'll happen in the third level sector. There is reluctance um, the government, there. There is reluctance but not there, from the government. There, there is reluctance the, from the, the NEFIT, and we're going counter to the NEFIT advice on it. We're standing up to NEFIT, for but want of a better phrase. And the, a lot of us have been now. talking about it. Antigen have been pushing it for the last six months. I'll finish the point. We've been talking about antigen testing for the last six months. We've actually now got the opportunity through Minister Donnelly to put in a system, thanks to the successful pilots, and that will be something that's part of this as well. Okay, all That's right. Well, our thanks to Mark McGowan and Adrian Weckler who joined us via Skype. Neil and Nora will be staying with us and still to come, they have been the beating heart of our communities for decades, but the COVID pandemic has seen the high street suffer. What can we do to revitalise them? A special report is coming up. Welcome back to The Tonight Show. Now, retail has had an horrendous 16 months since the first lockdown. And while the sector has gradually reopened, many of Ireland's main streets are suffering. So what's needed to be done to revitalise them? Here's our economics correspondent, Paul Colgan, with our special report. City and town centres are slowly getting back to their feet. But the challenges they face are to be seen everywhere. On Dublin's Henry Street, the vacancy rate is reported to be running at around 30% as retail units have emptied out. The sort of challenges faced by Irish retailers now are no different in many ways to those that they faced before they'd even heard of COVID-19. But what they've discovered in the past two months is that the sort of trends they were seeing back in 2019 and early 2020 have been accelerated. They're dealing with the same problems, but a much Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Master rate. One trend very noticeable on Henry Street has been the disappearance of British names. Currently lying vacant are units previously occupied by the likes of Carphone Warehouse, Vodafone, Oasis and its parent, Debenhams. The Debenhams closure has left an ugly hole at the heart of the famous old thoroughfare. The Dublin Town Group argues that finding new tenants shouldn't focus exclusively on big name outlets, but a mixture of retail, hospitality and culture. We do need to look at those spaces and say, right, you know, if we're not going to get a like for like high street retailer, what can that space be? What 
will add to the street and create a reason for people to come into the city centre. As a kid, I walked up and down uh, Henry Street many, many times on a Saturday morning with my parents and things like that. But that sort of shopper that came in at nine in the morning, did their shopping and left after lunch, and then maybe that other group that came in Saturday night to go to the, to the local pub or whatever and meet their friends, that kind of strict delineation is gone now. People shop as a social exercise. The kind of mono-use of streets and areas is kind of, I don't want to say it's obsolete, but it, it's, it's not what the modern consumer is looking for, really. Making retail areas more attractive might be one way to counter losses to online shopping. Footfall is everything. The emptying out of offices, the emergence of working from home, has left many retailers worried about the coming months. Deckwell's hardware store on Dublin's George's Street relies on local businesses for its core trade and offices would be a central part. Our business here is other businesses um, and we rely on other businesses here in the city centre. Um, that's our main core of uh, customers. If there's nobody in those buildings, again, there's no maintenance needed for those businesses. So uh, there's no money being spent on those buildings. So until that comes back, definitely an air business, uh, we have a bit of a struggle ahead of us. Estate agents looking to fill those empty units believe that, yes, offices mightn't return to full capacity, but streets will just have to change and adapt. They also believe that when business people are able to travel freely again, new names will begin appearing. There are less people working in the offices, yes, undoubtedly. Uh, but uh, the, the retailers looking to open stores on Grafton Street are not necessarily looking specifically at that. They're looking at a medium long term play where they're opening their brand into Dublin City and, and to launch their online platform as well there. It will reset. I think that working will become more flexible. But then again, shopping, I think, will become more flexible. People will work it into their overall routine where they're coming into the city centre for a particular purpose and they just plan their week better around, around shopping trips and I think the profile of retailers on the streets will adapt to that. Retailers travelling from overseas here is a real hindrance on us. We've had a lot of appointments cancelled. As soon as people can travel here, I think it will trigger business. We will see new brands coming here. Paul Coghlan with that special report. Well, I'm here again with Fine Gael's Neil Richmond and businesswoman and broadcaster Nora Casey. Nora, I want to come to you first on that. May 17th was the big date that non-essential retail reopened and we're nearly two months on from that date. How do you think the retail landscape is looking? Well, it changed much before May 17th. You know, over the last year, I think people had got used to online shopping. Even my own mother, who's, God, she'll kill me for saying this, 91 in August, has learned how to do online shopping. I think we all expect a different type of service from shopping now. And the reality is Dublin city centre is very quiet. I mean, I'm in and out of it all the time. It's really quiet. I think um, down the country, I think it's the first chance that we have as a country of re-energising rural Ireland because what we found from successive reports, I'm not going to bore you with, but McKinsey and KPMG, they've all said, what happened during lockdown is, um, of course, we're all nervous. And Ireland is more nervous, by the way, than the rest of Europe, because we've been a bit slower to open up. So every time we think we might spend on luxury goods, we don't, because we're worried about the Delta variant now. So we're very frugal in terms of our appetite for shopping. And secondly, loyalty doesn't matter anymore. You may have shopped in you know, a certain store all your life, and now it's about value accessibility and value. And if it's your local store down the road, that's the one you're going to go to. And especially if they're going to give you good value for Or money. when you go online. Or if you go online. Now, online has, you know, exponentially 
kind of grown in the last year, 10 years growth in one year. But the great thing is that some of the local Irish artisan and craftspeople have done phenomenally well in that. They've probably done much better than some of the big people. I, like most of the people, I'm always saying, if you're buying anything, buy it with PayPal because you need protection. I can't tell you how often in the last year I've ordered something that hasn't arrived or has been 10 to 12 weeks late and I've had to cancel that order. So online is precarious. I wonder, omnichannel is the way forward for want of a better word. It's actually where you marry the high street presence with um, with an online channel. And we have to get better at that. I would just say that there's certain online uh, stores that have done phenomenally well, and that's great, local ones. Across, I publish uh, Women's Way still in magazines. There's a mushrooming of fantastic beauty and fashion sites all across Ireland. I can't even begin to tell you how many there are, because I'd say in the last month or two, about 50 have launched. And they're all coming from like skin to soil, really great, you know, green, yeah. vegan, organic, fantastic mushrooming of businesses. So it's not all doom and gloom. And I accept that the big guys have really struggled. And that's all in the online space. But what practical things do you think could be done by government to try and reverse those scenes that we're High seeing? Street around High Street, around 30% vacancies on Henry Street. I know, but I can't answer for Henry country. Street and Grafton Street because they are decimated. They're decimated because people down the country don't want to come up to Dublin. They don't, and I understand that. Um, I also think that the offices are all closed, so you don't have casual. And gone are the days, by the way, where people want to go in and spend three hours shopping in a mask, told not to touch things. And if it's not your size out there on the shelf, love, grand, <laughs> you can just leave okay. it. Queuing for changing rooms. No, you know, shopping is an experience. You like to go and have a coffee. You can't have a coffee. It's changing now. Um, Toilets are closed. Would you agree with that because of the lockdown, the restrictions still, and the restrictions that will continue to be in place around Around the likes of, of dining and drinking and and the social aspect of going to, you know, embark on a shopping trip. That that's going to limit how much shops in places like city centres can recover. Well, there's a few things that, Claire, and I think one thing there is actually a lot of opportunity, and we've seen, as Nora said, a lot of businesses that weren't online have gone online, and we've supported them with various vouchers. We've frozen commercial rates, but if we look at the city centre, there's ways to reimagine it. We'll start to see now public transport going back up to 75%. As we continue the rollout, people will go back to offices, but let's be frank, people aren't going to go back to the nine to five, five days a week in a city centre office. They want the blended approach, and I can understand that. And representing a suburban constituency, we've seen suburban small retailers and particularly restaurateurs and cafes do very well. So it's looking at that blended approach and trying to take what do you the do in a practical way to save shops on our main streets? Because we're seeing this, we're seeing the problems that were there already and then COVID tipped many businesses over the edge. So a few of the things that we've taken so far that have saved a lot of businesses, both the employment wage subsidy scheme, the Chris scheme, but also investing in public spaces, allowing for greater use of the high street pedestrianisation for outdoor dining. Because as you rightly say, if you can get a coffee, you might go into the shops and pick up something. Well, we still have frozen commercial rates and that will continue as well, which is a big thing, particularly in Dublin. It's a huge thing, isn't it, for the retail sector, the cost of rents and the inability to, to have this sort of mediation with landlords in order to embark on rent amnesties if they need to. Because for many businesses, they've been closed, but they've still had to pay all their rents all the way up. It's and very unfair. And how are they going to survive in that? And that's why the government has implemented so many schemes to offset other costs. And we're talking about, as I said, freezing commercial rates, which is a really big one, particularly in Dublin. If you own a large store in Dublin City Centre. Is that Centre, happening now? Yes, that's still happening now and has been throughout this pandemic. And it's been a huge boost. I was in businesses in Rathmines and the Swan Centre canvassing in the last few and weeks. And what about and a lot rent of them are amnesties? 
rent amnesty is probably not something that's necessarily feasible because ultimately then you're taking money from one business to pay another business. So there's there's a vicious well, circle to that. Some shops and they're dealing with multiple landlords and they're really struggling to survive. And shouldn't some supports be given and, and spearheaded by government? There? And there is supports given and there will be more supports given. And the big thing that we're looking um, in the next couple of weeks and months is bringing out of the pandemic not just businesses, but workers. So getting 75,000 long-term unemployed who predate the pandemic back to work. The more we get people back to work, the more we get people back earning beyond the PUP, the more will there be money. And okay. as Nora said, there's an awful lot of capital stored up in savings that we haven't released. People who haven't been financially impacted now have the okay. opportunity to do you, that. You touched on it a bit there when you were talking about rural centres and there's a real operation for, uh, there's real opportunity for regeneration there that these smaller towns, people will shop local, they'll buy local, and they appreciate that proximity. What about the bigger shopping centres and the UK brands that are open over here and that sense that maybe there's a uniformity to those shops that you'll, you, could, you could find in any European city and why should they go there when they can get better deals online delivered to their door? Yeah, I think our, you know, if you look at Grafton Street and Henry Street, you'd be hard pressed to know which city you were in sometimes. And, you know, when I was growing up, by the way, I remember being so excited when McDonald's opens. <laughs> like in Ireland in those days, you know, we didn't have any international brands. We felt very sophisticated when other shops opened. And now maybe we've gone in the wrong direction. Maybe there's too much of that. And they're the ones who are struggling. If you look at the people, the winners and losers over the last year in terms of uh, turnover and profit, uh, they've deep pockets, but um, you know, it's been really difficult for them. But I, what I have to say, I have a sheer joy about the fact that we have this mushrooming of this great kind of rural revival of, you know, great startup businesses. At the end of the last recession, we had the biggest number of startups, by the way, in the history. I would just say, the government, what the government needs to do, I, I used one town as a microcosm uh, for a potential television show. And we started looking at all of the supports that were available in, in the rural town. Um, and it is a complete mess for want of a better word. I want to use something more sophisticated, but over the years, there's been so many different grants and supports and they're in pockets of little parts of Ireland, some of them national, some of them local. If I was the government, I would just sweep all that aside and say, that was yesterday. What we really need to do is now focus our energies on how do we take a town like Westport, for instance, and energise it so that not just the hospitality industry, how but the local... How are towns like crops. Westport doing? Well, I, I think Westport is one of the magnet towns of Ireland, so it always does much better than everywhere else. But of course, it's struggled hugely. I mean, there's lots of shops that haven't been able to open. And there's but it's tourism a, there. And, you know, yeah, people it's a great will be example going on their staycation to places like Westport. And there's other, you know, smaller urban yeah, centres that will do very well. But it's, it's other main streets. You're talking about rural regeneration, but there are... Are, there are other towns and, and they're really feeling the struggle, but if you, aren't they? But if you put all of your... So if you said, you know, there's a million rural regeneration projects, you know this, Neil, and, you know, all, all I'm saying is, I think at some point, given that we've been through the biggest crisis in our history, well, not maybe in our history, but certainly in modern times, brush everything to one side and start afresh and set up this new template for how could you re-energise not just the Westports, but all of the other small towns in Ireland. Uh, because part of it is to do with the hotels, because they obviously bring in tourists, whether they're Irish or whether they're from abroad. But also it's to do with craftspeople and supporting the supply okay. chain locally. Just on that, it's very yes. important. There's, as part of the, our Rural Future programme that Heather Humphreys yeah. launched a couple of months ago, that's 150 actions. That is central government actions. It's not tailored per region. And that's stuff like getting the remote working hubs, yeah. the road, either broadband, providing people grants to you know, do things on a more... Um, 
ecological basis, environmental basis. I think that is the template. And it's actually something, when you see it in the New York Times and you see it being covered by Bloomberg, this is absolutely what we can, not just for our rural area, but for our suburban okay. area and for just I moving in I want to ask you just that, that one about remote working. And it was brought up there um, by, I think, you know, um, um, in, in Deckwells, which is a hardware store in the heart of Dublin. And they're saying, we supply to businesses around yeah. here. And if we don't have people in those offices, there's no need to maintain them. Can you see that remote working is causing that problem, that as long as people aren't in the city centre, the footfall isn't there and the business simply isn't there for those shops that are struggling now? Absolutely, and that's why I've always said we want the blend. We don't want people just simply to, to leave the, the office block as we know it, that 3-2 three, three, split in the working So are you week. looking at, at changing up the approach when it comes to the, the retail sector? Because it is on its knees in some places. Yeah, and absolutely, and that's when we talk about rural working hubs they'll need businesses then to service them like those hardwares, like those opportunities. OK, yeah. well, we'll leave it there, Neil Richmond and Nora Casey. Thank you very much uh, for joining us tonight. And up next, indoor summer camps are off the table. We look at how that affects parents and kids. Welcome back. Now, there were more than a few groans when the government announced that indoor summer camps would not be permitted. I'm joined by parenting journalist Jen Hogan. And Jen, announcement around this filtered through over the weekend. I think that Tisha confirmed it on Friday. Mm -hmm. uh, what's been the reaction of parents to this news? Huge frustration. I think frustration on a few different counts. One, obviously, because it's, it's a blatant disregard, really, for children. Once again, you know, it's been a hard pandemic for them. They've been looking forward to their camps. For children not involved in sports in particular, because a lot of the sports camps can happen outside, for children who maybe love other activities, love the arts, like digital camps, like the Lego camps, this is something they've been looking forward to and now that's taken away from them. Again, the lack of consistency also has caused huge frustration with parents, the fact that kids can eat indoors now or will be able to eat indoors in due course um, in restaurants. And then I suppose the other side of it is the childcare and the big, the big question around childcare, because the reality is, um, and it will be women who will feel this the most, because largely it's been women who've picked up the slack in, in this regard uh, along the way, um, that the well, women now and, and parents, I suppose, obviously, the whole, but women largely will have to try to find new childcare arrangements because summer camps do make up part of summer childcare. And particularly with the prolonged school closures earlier this year, people were forced into looking at taking parental leave to get through that period instead. And now we're going into the summer and they possibly don't have the annual leave or the parental leave left available to them. I'm just wondering because there's obviously frustration among parents and worry again and for kids as well who are really looking forward to these summer camps. Often they're doing them with their pals and it's kind of important. It's something they're really looking forward to. Um, is, there, is it the case that they're kind of happening anyway and that camps yeah. are organising workarounds saying, oh, we'll have a picnic, we'll spend a lot of time outdoors, the weather will be good, we'll put up a canopy, that they... They're, they're trying to make it work for their business they are, and for the kids. They are. They're trying to do it in whatever way they can. Some people are able to move their camps outdoors and that, that's something. But not all camps can actually move outdoors. Um, I have heard yet that some of the camps are going ahead anyway, that that is actually happening on the ground. Parents saying that they have heard nothing yet to say that things have been cancelled. But on the other hand, I've also heard from parents who, um, one parent in particular this evening got in touch to say her child with additional needs, mm. could, you know, there's, the cool camps could go ahead, all those kind of camps could go ahead 
ahead and his camp um, his occupational therapy camp now can't go ahead with yeah. just five children That's and we've been difficult, it's isn't so it? difficult particularly because we've been managing with the bubbles in the schools all along you know they're so used to the bubbles and the pods the outdoor camps are even even doing this as well already so why this can't continue on indoors nobody can understand yeah, I wanted to ask you that the impact this pandemic has had on children because they were pulled out of school mm -hmm. and you know there was sort of education at home and trying to work around that but the social aspect of them missing out on that um but also now and you mentioned children with additional needs that the supports that were there for them just aren't really there even when it comes to these summer camps that mm -hmm. are a real help not just for the the children but really for parents who need a break they need respite as well yep it has been such a difficult pandemic for children and for their families and, and obviously for children um with additional needs of children from disadvantaged backgrounds they they've been affected more and disproportionately affected overall um you know the, the whole the whole fact that we're going into this into the summer at a time when we were hopeful that maybe children would have something to look forward to, would have that opportunity to catch up those social interactions, you know, improve those skills. Because children, I suppose, they're chronologically getting older, but they haven't necessarily had the experience and the time to master different skills that normally they would do through usual experiences in life. And, and this is where the summer camps were so important and so vital for, again, the children who perhaps like activities outside of sports. Some of them haven't been at in-person activities since March 2020. It's a long time What's going on. What do you think that'll have and like developmentally for children um, at that critical age, especially if they're that little bit younger, you know, building social mm -hmm. skills and confidence and all yeah. of that to have that big gap? How do you think that will play out down the line? I mean, it's huge. And I think we will we will be dealing with the impacts of this for a long time to come. I've spoken to psychologists, psychotherapists who are experts in this field, and they have all said the same thing, that this, this is a, a problem that is just brewing and building. And, and I honestly wonder, have any child development experts been consulted at any stage along some of the decisions taken and made? Because, you know, the school closures, they were so long and, and, and the... The impact, you know, it's not a, it's not possible to just catch up in a short amount of time. I know we have the July provision, and but again, I'm hearing that some of those things are are not able to go ahead due to staff shortages. And for kids, children are missing out. While all these things are resolved, children are missing out, and and they're as I said, they're getting older, but without the without the necessary experiences. And I do think we're going to have to cut them a lot of slack for a long yeah. time. Now, yeah. the public health experts will yeah. say we know it's really difficult, but what if your child gets, you know. COVID and long COVID, we are seeing cases of that. And that right now, at this point in time, with the Delta variant mm. and with, with the fears that are around the, the, the spread of COVID at the moment, uh, that we could be facing into long-term health problems. But I mean, we're, we're going to have to factor in the fact that at the moment, there are no plans to vaccinate young children. So that's, that's the situation that we're in at the moment, that it's not to change. So we have to work within those parameters. And therefore, we have to find a way to make it safe and balance risk and look at, you know, look at the risk and the implications of the missing out on things for so long. And it has been so long and it's continuing and it's a larger portion of their lives. We have to start balancing those things out, the risk versus versus the consequences of our actions and the consequences of the decisions that are being made about around them. Because it just seems like nobody's nobody's prioritising children, nobody's looking for child-centred solutions. It is constantly, they're an afterthought an awful lot of the time. And even, even the late note and the late confirmation on Friday. Again, it's just, oh, here we go again. It's children, sure, what odds? Another promise broken, another thing taken away from them. Do you think them. there might be a turnaround on that, that there's a chance that they may actually go ahead, that the government will review that decision in light of letting yeah. children in for indoor dining with their parents, that they might go, well, this doesn't actually 
make much sense if we're to prohibit uh, children gathering in a, in a group setting such as an indoor camp? Certainly that's the feedback that I'm hearing from camp owners. They are hoping that as indoor, um, as guidelines around indoor activities are reviewed come July 19th, there's the hope that children, that, this, that summer camps will be um, considered as part of this and, and the benefits that they offer to children and to parents as well, and to parents as well, the whole, parents who are trying to work and trying to juggle it all, that all these things will actually be considered not just ruled out without any clear explanation. Nobody can, as I said, the inconsistency is infuriating for people too. Mm. And do you know anything about in hotels, whether, you know, camps are permitted for, because we do have families mm. staying in hotels and all the amenities are open there. Well, I was just looking at something. I, I don't, I, I'm not 100% sure if it's true, but I was looking at something there um, earlier on today in a hotel and they were talking about the, the kids' camp within the hotel. So those sort of things are okay. happening. Children can go right. to christenings, pubs, restaurants. They can still take part in an awful lot of different things. Okay, well... That is it from us. Uh, thank you, Jen. Our programme is available as a podcast and our next news is on Ireland AM tomorrow morning. From all the late team here, good night and take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.